0: welcome back everybody for another fun episode of the rolex whiskey passion project and today i have a gentleman on who over the last couple of years at universal whiskey i've got to spend some time with and he is uh, a true spirit of the whiskey passion so i'm super excited to have you and morgan on today you're welcome
1: my friend how are you i'm very well gavin how are you yeah, oh, you know, it's fr-
0: it's Friday, not, we, we know, these shows normally are on a Wednesday, but guys, we're recording it on a Friday, so we're doing it. Uh, Ewan, you want to introduce yourself to the audience, give them a little
1: spiel on, you know, who you are and what you do? Sure thing. Uh, so my name is Ewan Morgan. I am National Luxury Ambassador for Diageo North America. I am originally from Scotland. I don't have a very strong accent anymore but I am from Scotland, I can assure you. I uh, grew up on a distillery there called Tamdu Distillery. I was born 250 feet away from Mortlach Distillery, which is also in Spayside. And my father made whiskey at various distilleries like Craig and Moore. And then uh, he also worked at Tamdu Distillery, Cardew Distillery, uh, Bonahaven Distillery, Glen Turret Distillery, Glenmorangie Distillery. And then he finished up before he retired at Highland Park, running that site as manager. Uh, my grandfather also made whiskey. You can see a common thread here. And uh, he was actually <laughs> he was actually head maltman at Cardew Distillery. And uh, he was the boss of not only my dad, but three of my uncles who all worked there at the same time. Uh, I started working in whiskey at the age of 16, so 33 years ago. And and I, and I love it. And my son, who turns 22 this year, actually works in Whiskey in Scotland. He moved back to do that. So he was with Diageo for the, for the launch of the Johnny Walker experience on, on Princess Street. And uh-huh. he has just started a job with Beam Suntory. So, and, wow. and I'm actually going to Scotland on Tuesday. I was just telling Gavin this, uh, and he's going to be on Isla at the same time as me with his job, and I'm going to be doing my stuff with my job. So,
0: yeah, oh, man. So, growing up as a kid with all of this happening, like, is this the destiny? You're like, hey, this. I know where I'm going.
1: No, actually, <laughs> it, it's not as linear as that. I wish it were. <laughs> So, my when I worked in the distillery, I worked in production. Okay. I worked in maltings. Me as part of another team, we would shovel 44 tons of malt every morning. And that, you know, is a good workout. But doing that day in, day out, it, it gets a little monotonous. So, I did actually go and travel for a few years. And I lived in France and I lived in Israel. And then I came back to the UK and actually got a computer science degree after the job that I got was with Suntory looking after their digital and websites. And I and I worked on those and they found out my background and then I started doing like bits and bobs of ambassador work here and there. And then what happened was it that basically eclipsed my primary role and they had to hire someone else in, and all all I was really doing, or for the most part, what I was doing was ambassadorial stuff. Diageo contacted me in 2010 and said, "Hey, we've heard we've heard good things about you from other people. We'd be interested. Uh, would you be interested in moving to the United States?" I said no, and they called me again two weeks later, and I I, and I just had a. Uh, a, a spicy conversation with my then boss, who I'm not going to mention, and and I said, you know what? Yes. And they're like, okay. Well, this was in August. They're like, okay, 2010, though. We're just
0: going to put a timestamp on there. Yeah, I'll 2010. Get the minute. <laughs>
1: yeah, and uh, and they're like, okay, well, we need you here by September, October. So I had to sell a house, multiple cars, get kids out of school, and get them into a new school. In a country they'd never been to before. Uh, and on the 29th of October, two thousand and ten, we all moved over here. And and I landed on the Friday and I started working in New York on the Monday morning. And I haven't stopped since.
0: That's why I mean, I came here and so born and raised in South Africa, came here in nineteen ninety three in August, and I think my dad got notice in June. And you know, he had to sell the house, like so he said, sell the cars. Put the stuff into yeah. a container to bring yeah, it here. We did that. And, and I remember, you know, in South Africa, they had severe restrictions on how much money you can take. So you could sell your house, but you couldn't take your money. So I remember uh-huh. my mom going to an equivalent, I forget what it was called back there, but the equivalent of Costco and literally buying everything that she could possibly fit into the container with space, <laughs> plastic bags. Olive oils, uh-huh. you know, uh, saran wrap. And I remember my poor dad, when this thing landed, he goes, what did you buy? And she's like, well, I didn't want to leave the money there because we're never going back. And he's like, oh, <laughs> and I, it was like years. It became like a joke. Like, hey, um, hey, what's that stuff? Oh, no, that's uh, yeah. That, that's from 1993. <laughs> but like that was her her stand. And so he came out first and then we followed two months later and like walked into Like, okay, what's school look like? Which he had like organized and, you know, no credit as well. Like getting a car, like, hey, you got to pay cash for everything. Like, hey, what's credit? So yeah, it's a a wild experience just packing up and moving to the United States. It's very daunting. Uh,
1: Not for everybody. (laughs) uh, Yeah, effectively starting from scratch to your point. You have zero credit rating. You don't understand how taxes work here because they don't make any sense. Uh, and and I remember day, my I sister think...
0: crying in the room. My sister would cry every night saying she wanted to go home. You know, my yeah. dad would come home from like this hard work and she's like, I hate it here. I have no friends. You know, and he's like, Listen, I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to do what's best for the family, you know. Like, hey, I'm sorry, you gotta like you, you gotta take one for the team here. But yeah, the yeah. challenge is huge. So tell me, in 2010, what does Scotch whiskey look like in the United States? Because I was still running like bars and restaurants. And really, it was Johnny Walker Black. Johnny Walker Blue was top, top, top shelf. There were the Livids, the Maranges, the 12s, the 10s. I mean, it, it was sparse. I mean, we were selling a ton of rum and tequila and vodka. It wasn't really like anyone coming in saying, "Ooh, I'd like a Scotch
1: there were pockets of whiskey bars here and there that did a good job, you know, like the Delilah's of the mm-hmm. world, which is in Chicago, obviously. Chicago. And, and the Dell and places like that. And then in 2011, Jack Rose and DC opened up. And that was kind of like a big game changer for, for a lot of people who were looking at what a whiskey bar should or could be. and And they kind of, opened the shutters to a lot of people and then you started to see things like multinoma whiskey Library up in Portland who basically looked at what mm-hmm. Jack Rose did and replicated it but they they were exceptions to the rule for the most part and now you know you can walk into any bar in any city and you will have a reasonable choice of of brown spirits not just whiskeys but rums as well as cognacs and and spirits like that. But the the choices, even in liquor stores back then, were were somewhat truncated as to what they are today. Top
0: shelf was Johnny Walker Blue. That was top
1: shelf for $249
0: or $199. And you're like, well, hey, I don't know. That's a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will say this. I I wish that I had stocked up on a lot more products back then when it was still cheap. But, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, And I I still remember going into Korean liquor stores in New Jersey wearing a kilt, which we had to do at that point. And that that subsequently got uh, turned around and we were allowed to wear suits after that. But we used to have to travel around liquor stores wearing kilts and then go in and try and sell single malts. Uh, But I still remember going in there and seeing Pappy Van Winkle's for 70, 80 bucks, easily accessible on shelf. Pre Anthony Bourdain saying it was the and, best bourbon in the world and it exploding.
0: And listeners, we're yeah. not talking about a galaxy far, far away. We're talking about 13 years ago. <laughs> we're not saying yeah. like back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. This is the escalation yeah. of the current state. It's about 15 years max. A lot of work went into yeah. it, but like I think we can all agree with the hindsight, 2020, no one saw it coming. <laughs>
1: you know? no. Nor to the to the same point. Nor did we see the the huge rampant price of anything from Japan. Um, yeah, I I used to work for Suntory, and I have a reasonable amount of Yamazaki and Hakushu and things like that. And when I got those valued before I moved to Scotland, you know. The, and then I got them valued again about yeah a months ago. Some of them had gone up like six hundred percent, a thousand percent in and what they're valued at and that's
0: just I, mean, I started 12, I started buying year. them in two thousand and sixteen. so you had it from before two thousand and sixteen. I was still buying you know, you could buy hakushu Hibiki and Trader Joe. yeah, <laughs> like it was just sitting there. Nobody wanted it and and my first dabble in the world of Suntory was I was somewhere in, like, right in end of 2016 when someone popped open that sherry cask. And I think I paid, like, $45 for an ounce. And I tasted that, and I'm like, whoever made this, there in my mind, their give-a-shit level was so high that if it did not cut the snuff, they were probably just going to drain pour it. Like, just the level of... Exp- of because I was like a foodie, a restaurant guy, you know, I think Johnny Walker black and that experience. I'm like, there's something going on over here. And then my kid being born premature. I'm like, I'm just going to start buying these bottles. And it seems like nobody wants. So I have these moments like you just had three months ago. I'm like, Oh wow. I can't believe what that's worth now. Like that was almost free yeah. back on auction. When nobody was on auction, you could just like hit all of them be like, yeah, I'll buy like everything. Oh, you got these, these, um, owners cast. Yeah. 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 What did like? Two hundred and seventy-five dollars, sure. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's great. It's wild.
1: Yeah. I'm actually looking at an owner's gas bottle right now from nineteen eighty-six at Mizunara Oak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I even so, remember yeah. when they did
0: the 18-year-old Mizunara, like there was like a pocket of people that gave a shit. But a small little mm-hmm. pocket. I remember I traded it with a guy for like two E.H. Taylors like that was his trade. and he and he flew out from somewhere and he was playing because I'm down in San Diego, he was playing Tory Pines, and he showed up to Tory Pines. I met him there with my daughter, who was probably like, I don't know two at that time, maybe a little under two, and he had a pelican case to take these two e h Taylor four grains and he had my Mizunara inside it. And I'm like, that's don't a pretty worry. cool trade. you know, I was into it for like four hundred bucks for those two each day Taylor. And those things were flipping for like a grand. Yeah, different world, but not so long yeah. ago,
1: which is the crazy part. Yeah. Well, the one I'm looking at got auctioned off not that long ago for twenty nine. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and what you pay? What do you think you paid for that back in the day? <laughs> I think I paid seventy pounds because I bought yeah. it in the UK. <laughs> and they were probably just yeah. sitting there, like, "Hey, we
0: don't know what these things are," you know, like it's cool. It's really nice. Yeah, I got a whole two, bunch of I them. Two, I mean, because
1: I have two of them. If you want to buy one, Gavin, I have a spare <laughs> at
0: twenty nine. Yeah,
1: perfect. I'll trade we'll you. Rhyme it up for- we'll ride it up to thirty. I'll even come deliver it.
0: I'll bring you one of the older Michter's twenties <laughs> that I have.
1: <laughs> I think I got for
0: you know seven hundred bucks back then, which was a lot of money. Um, so yeah. tell me, like, I want to go back to one one little point in your life. So obviously, whiskey is part of the family. You're working in whiskey. Uh When you first start drinking whiskey, other than for the point of, you know, my first experiences for whiskey because I ran restaurants and nightclubs, it was really just to deal with people. It was not to get drunk. It was to make sure I didn't get angry. It calmed me down. Brown spirits calmed Uh me down. White spirits made me wild. I learned real early, figured it out. But, like, I didn't get to appreciate whiskey for quite a while until like that Yamazaki sherry cask. Well, there's a couple of single malts that stand out, you know, of experience, but for you being in the, like, when did you go like, wow, that's
1: different. That's a great question. And it it wasn't until I would say I was like 26, 27. When I worked at the distillery, I used to get a bottle of famous grouse with my paycheck every two weeks. But because I was, (laughs) too young to drink alcohol i was 16 at that point my dad got those bottles and i and i didn't really have that much interest in drinking it i did however i used to sell whiskey and that was another reason why i had to leave school earlier than planned because (laughs) we would uh we would liberate whiskey from the cooperage that the distillery had and then sell that in mason jars at school and uh that didn't pan out so well because i uh I was ejected from said school, and that's why I started working (laughs) in the distillery. I finished school on the Friday and started working in whiskey on the Monday morning very early. So, yeah, uh, my appreciation for it, I think, was like 26, 27. And to begin with, you know, I didn't like smoky Whiskies. You know, the company I worked for at that point, their Scottish distillery their big biggest selling one was bowmore at uh, so that smoke challenge for me was was a little tough they also own Okintoshin, as you know and glengiey mm-hmm. at and, and they're, they're well Okintoshin, not peated glengiey do a variance of peating some are peated some are not i definitely gravitated towards like the either low peating or no peating whiskies That did Mm -hmm. change, however, with my palate. And then I started drinking more blended whiskeys, Johnny Walker Black being the main one. And I still, to this day, drink Johnny Walker Black. I love it. I I personally think it's my favorite Johnny Walker in terms of value for money, complexity, flavor, and accessibility you can get it anywhere It like if yep. you're if you're in borneo you can buy johnny walker black if you're in the arctic circle you can buy johnny walker black it it's it's a global product it's everywhere so it's not like you're you're kind of hedging yourself in with some you know esoteric whiskey that unless you travel with it you're never gonna see it or or you'll only see it in very specialized bars so johnny walker black so it, it, i would say so in south africa open...
0: it was it was J and B. J and B oh, yeah. was the Johnny Walker Black in South Africa. And Johnny Black was above J and B. You know, like yeah. it was jnb and like Bells. And those were your like blendy, blendy, you know, very affordable. And yeah. Johnny Walker Black was just a teeny bit of top, and then Johnny Walker Blue was way on top.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I actually like bells as well. That, that was some another one that I got introduced to in Scotland. You don't get it here, in the United States, unfortunately, no. but no, you, know, you, you you do see it in you know Australia, Europe, obviously South Africa, places like that. But I, it's a it's another great value for money whiskey. But what it was black labeled that that introduced me to smoke because obviously you have Talisker, Kalila in there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of weaned myself onto the onto the smoke with with Johnny Walker Black, and from there. You know, once you go down that rabbit hole, it's it's hard to go back. And then I started to get a real appreciation for Kalila, Talskar, obviously Lagavulin, Ardberg, lafroy Beaumont, Brookladdy, You know, even Highland Park with that that smoky characteristic to it. I and I and I love it now. And I really didn't used to. It took it took a lot of perseverance to get my palate, you know, receptive to such high ppm phenol smoky whiskeys and now now i adore them i also drink i'm I'm the same i would say the
0: last three years the last three years all of a sudden because i was like oh pete i can't deal with it it's always too much and the last three years i'm like it's kind of like if you if you just mentally relax and enjoy it and you know especially the way we drink whiskey where you know we I mean, I do at least, you know, the first few sips. I'm a total nerdy geek. I'm like chewing it and swishing it all around till the cows come home, you know, uh-huh. trying to get it into every cavity in my mouth and all that. I'm like, dude, it's actually kind of fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, whereas before it's like, oh, oh god, no, nah, no, nah, I can't do this.
1: I want yeah, sherry. Man. Where's my sherry? <laughs> you know? I, I will. I will say this though, Gavin. Though I do have a cut off point where there's certain whiskeys out there. I feel are too smoky and that's all you taste. It's like when you go and have northern Thai food or really spicy Indian curry and all you're getting is heat and no flavor. Yeah. Uh because you know the scoville levels are through the roof. So all you're detecting on the palate is pain and heat and and I feel like Heating can go to that extent as well, where it can be too smoky, and and it's like you're at the back end of a Mack truck just inhaling fumes, and <laughs> I and it to- just totally gets agree. To me. <laughs> it just gets to me, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is just like someone's just painted creosote all over oak and then burned it, and now I'm inhaling the, the aftermath of it. So if well, I can't, oh, oh, if sh- I can't, the shaman detect,
0: stuck his thing up my nose. And It just doesn't stop. I'm like, dude, like, I'm I'm cleansed. Leave me alone now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cleansed.
0: You know, I was like, you know, I've been in San Francisco. You know, at Elixir sometimes. You know, H has got. I'm like, I can't drink that, dude. Just give me the give me the blend. You got some yeah. good old fat. You got some good old compass boxes. I'll do that. Got a little bit of Pete, just enough to have fun. That's it. i yeah.
1: <laughs> And a and a nice so shout bad. out to H and a fantastic bar as well.
0: Oh, love that guy, man. Just had so many fun experiences with him. And obviously with Tommy in New York, uh-huh. you know, I've never done the full Delilah's experience because I'm always there for work and I'm nowhere near it. So yeah. it's kind of frustrating. And I've never done Jack Rose. I've never done Washington either. I mean, it's really been like New York. And then in in, in Portland, you know, I spend a lot of time with, I'm good friends with Tommy at the Ballard Cut. Oh yeah. You know, and he went on like a Japanese whiskey rampage. So when I go in there, we just go, let's go down the rabbit hole. And he's like this is a you know 1971 hibiki you know like nobody mm. wanted it it was for some game and you're like whoa <laughs> that's crazy you know like he's like yeah. yeah i picked it up and like i had a guy in japan grab it for like 25 bucks you know oh, a man. while ago
1: yeah
0: <laughs> you know a long time you know like he's curated a hell of, so we do these geeky things and then if i'm in venice down here in la i'll go uh hang out with pablo and moya oh, yeah. who's got a restaurant scopa and pablo once again, he's like, Oh, this is like a Black Adder Ichiros that they like threw out in like the nineties and nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> and this I... is a this bourbon that nobody cared when it came out. Now it's a couple of thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, I know Pablo. Did they still Good have people. the speakeasy next door?
0: No, the... he lost oh. it during COVID. That's his office
1: now. Oh, shoot.
0: Yeah, white lightning or lightning and like something light. like, yeah, yeah. no longer. Oh. And he's done, a, you know, he's done his own. He's got a rare character bourbon. So I hang out with him and just, I mean, his stash from that speakeasy is nuts. Like he yeah. has that it, it's whiskey history. I mean, I always tell people, you know, and, and I think you and I were joking. It's like you can't microwave the stuff like the stuff oh. that was made in the 70s and 80s and 90s. That's it. It's yep. a capsule of time. That person had no cell phone, no email, his wife, his kids, nobody could bother him. And he was excited, like you were saying, for every other Friday to get a bottle with his paycheck. Yeah. And they yeah. gladly gave it to him because, like, nobody wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it was totally fine, you know, to do that. So at 26, you now start to get this palette, And you're still – and you're not – where are you now at 26? You're still at the tam- – No, no. You? I, I was actually
1: – I was working for Suntory in Glasgow. Okay in scotland at that point
0: yeah and now you and even Suntory they don't know at that point what they have on their hands right they're just making whiskey
1: no no in fact <laughs> in fact that kind of caught up with them because japanese whiskey then exploded and they hadn't forecasted that explosion they, they knew that there was going to be you know linear growth but they didn't see this you know this rocket that went off and everyone wanted to buy Japanese whiskey and it didn't matter how old it was which distillery it was from so long as it was Japanese whiskey it was hot and or how much it cost yeah I mean it went from like you know if
0: you flew through Narita those limited editions you know Hibiki Yama at 25s hak 25s Hibiki 30 just sat there they were $2,200 yeah. Nobody yeah. in their right mind was like, you know, they're like, eh, I'll buy like this one for 80 bucks. I know. And I, I remember I I have them all and I had duplicates of them because I was like, this woman would be like, oh, yeah, I bought it. I charge one hundred dollars extra plus the hundred bucks to ship it to the United States. I'm like, I think I'm crazy, but like, I think that they, they're not just churning these things out every day because no one's buying them. They have no desire. Like no one wants them that they, they don't have a whole inventory closet sitting going like, Oh my God, we're going to have to mark it down next month. You know, yeah. that cause that was top shelf. Top shelf wasn't stuff that was like, Hey, it's easy to replace. We have very limited. And then I feel like around, what would you say? 2019, 2000, there was no more top shelf. It was decimated and it didn't matter what the price was. Everybody was paying a lot of money.
1: Yeah. I, I would say like 2018, <laughs> 2019, It was, it was slim pickings at that point. You know, before, if you went into any of
0: these liquor stores that you had been frequenting before in your kilt and now in your suit, there was tons of top shelf sitting there because who's paying $600 for a bottle? You must be crazy. Now it's like, oh, it's, it's 15,000. Can I get one? (laughs) Like, wait, what?
1: (laughs) I still remember, Gavin, we had a staff shop in Glasgow and it was open one day a week and we could go in there and we get our, our staff bottles that we could purchase. And Yamazaki 18 was 35 pounds.
0: Yeah. yeah. The part that's crazy about to me, and I talk to a lot of people like financially, they were making some money on that. Yeah. They were like It wasn't like they were losing money. So let's just say hypothetically, because it's the staff, it costs them 20 bucks to make, you know, the box, everything, and they sell it for 35. And then if they sell it out of there, they're still, they're making money. And then when the secondary, I mean, I just saw Yamazaki 18 this morning in one of like the secret Facebook groups and the guys are paying $900 a bottle now <laughs> for Yamazaki 18. And I'm like so it's still centauri's cost if it was 20 pounds back then i'll I'll go for shits and giggles and say it's 40 pounds to make it now you know with all the costs and things even 60 and the whatever the seventh seller is selling it for 900 bucks insane it's what it's wild so so you go through i I want i want to go into the world of diageo with you so now you you move to america you go into diageo this is 2010. What's Diageo look like in 2010? When you show up to New York that Monday, what are you selling?
1: I was focusing on what we were still calling the classic malts at that point. So Oban, Talskar, Lagavulin, Pardue Dalwhinnie, Glenkinchie were were the main yeah, <laughs> were the main that. focus for for me at that point. Johnny Walker, obviously, yep. And then we were starting to creep into selling more uh, North American whiskey. So Crown Royal became part mm-hmm. of the portfolio of Bullet Bourbon, uh, which was an aggressive growth at that point. When I first started working it. Was in, on- it was
0: in all the bars. I mean, all yeah. the bars. It was like, it was Bullet and Jameson. Those were your well pours, Fast and Furious.
1: Yeah. I still, I think when I started working on Bullet, it, it was still like thirty. Thousand cases, and now it's two and a half million. So, <laughs> and not yeah. stopping, and not stopping. Mm-hmm. No, that that trajectory is a very <laughs> strong trajectory. And Crown yeah. Royal is the same. Crown Royal yeah. is an is an absolute, you know, monster of a brand. You know, they make phenomenal whiskey, and people love it. And and they make flavored whiskeys, so that ticks that box. They make, you know, very affordable whiskeys like Deluxe, for example. And then they make, you know, high end whiskeys like Crown Royal 18 and XRs and, you know, the Noble Collection, things like that. So
0: me personally watching them all these years, I feel like they F with Buchanan's. So if they see Buchanan's kind of, you know, with the flavors, they're like, oh, we, you know, and and it kills it because I know when I ran nightclubs, that was the thing, Crown. And it would Uh be funny because they're like, oh, can we have the bag? You know my guy my bus boys were stealing the bags yeah you know to try to be cool and they're like no we want the bag with the bottle and you're like really okay I'm like i'll have them go pull it out of their backpack
1: and bring it out to you, <laughs> <laughs> you <know? laughs> people love <laughs> those <laughs> bags people make suits yeah. out of them people make christmas oh, I mean, out of them yeah it's like <laughs> yeah
0: i i mean I, you know i try to i try to play nine holes you know on the weekend quickly before the kids are still relaxing And Hmm. I mean, how many guys carry their tees and their balls and those things like, you know, you see, you know, at at these public courses. I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. The crown bag. So now, so now it's 2010, you kind of have a portfolio, but it's a pretty basic ish portfolio. It's the goal is to, you know, get as much space and you have a large group. When does it start to, when does luxury kick in
1: for you? Luxury. Okay. That's a really good question. Luxury started to kind of gain momentum, I would say, around about 2016, 2017. Uh, we definitely were spending more time focusing on, you know, the special releases when they were getting mm-hmm. released every fall. So we were spending more time focusing on those, which was great. And then we started to do more... uh you know, limited time offerings or LTOs as they call them in the Diageo world. Things like, you know, the 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 Blade Runner edition of Johnny Walker, stuff yeah. like that. And we definitely started to like branch out and, and focus a lot more on high end. Although, you know, the bread and butter is still coming from, you know, the Johnny Reds and Blacks, they're keeping the lights on. But a lot of value is getting driven through these luxury skews. and blue and, blue and what is luxury and what
0: what's classify cl- like classify because luxury in two thousand and eighteen and compared to what you poured it you know a few weeks ago in Vegas in twenty twenty three probably a little bit different
1: yeah definitely for sure the luxury back then I would say we would classify anything over a hundred bucks as luxury over 200 bucks as like you know getting more into like ultra luxury and and then there were and then today you know you know what the prices are my my, oh, yeah. my, my portfolio is is a fairly wide you know spectrum going from you know Johnny walker blue label which is like 250 north and then yeah. You know, I, I sell bottles that are, you know, tens of thousands yeah. per bottle. And cool. we 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 don't even blink when we see prices anymore. It's, no,
0: uh, I think we've become like priced like it is what it, you know. I I mean I I definitely, you know, people say like, hey, you're not buying whiskey at the amount you used to for your investment. I'm like, I can't afford to. Like I was, I was happy buying a four thousand dollar bottle with the hope that it would be fifteen one day. Now it's fifteen already. <laughs> like I don't, you know, like I don't know if that's going to forty because I also feel like this is like number one. It's a great time to really see the history of whiskey and pull out these older bottles and see like wow, like this is different. And I also think for distilleries, they're now going, you know, combing the corners inside and being like what's in that barrel over there that everyone walks by oh hey that's a good one we should try that one whoa that's amazing i mean it's super exciting just seeing this luxury market now and also the acceptability you know like people say oh it's only for like people who have money no i'm seeing people who don't necessarily have money for say when i'm you know i'm being very general there but Uh they will try a pour of something for 80 dollars at a bar just to experience that. Whereas before you couldn't get more than $9 out of it. They've gone from nine to 80. No problem.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a completely different world Uh, and people value things differently. Now I feel because they understand more about the process of how it's made and the scarcity of it. As well, and they're they're willing right. to pay for an experience that they may never have again, and that that's the wonderful thing about spirits is that you can walk into a bar and you can see a unicorn bottle there, and you can try a drink of it, and you you know that you may never ever taste it again because it's one and done, and and yep. people are willing to pay for those very special experiences, which is wonderful, you know, uh, and it and it really. You know, If if I'm in a bar and I see people who who maybe don't know a huge amount about spirits, but they're asking like the right questions to the bartender, and the bartender is doing a really good job of guiding them. And he's not necessarily guiding them towards the most expensive one. He's guiding them towards the ones that he thinks that they will enjoy the most. If he's a good bartender, and they nearly always are, eh, if they're selling these these higher-end whiskeys, they know what they're talking about. So they're they're very good as these kind of spirit guides, pardon the pun. And they will yeah. they will say, Hey, you know, if you've never tried this, you should give this one a whirl. Or, you know, if you've never tried, you know, a port Allen, we have Port Ellen. In fact, I was in Kir in Scottsdale at the golf hotel there, and they have a phenomenal Scotch bar there called The Scotch Bar. And the the guy who' was, uh, was running it, it the was one saying, down Wait. the
0: one downstairs by the pool
1: area. Yeah, next to the glass cases with the rattlesnakes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that one. So the, the guy who was in there did a phenomenal job and they, there was like a bunch of people in there for a conference. I think they sold solar panels or something like that. And he's like, you know took, took note of what their flavor profiles were and let them try like small samples of things until they find the wheelhouse that, that, that they all liked. And he wasn't trying to upsell them but watching watching him work the room was was phenomenal and everyone had a great experience everyone found a whiskey that they liked even people who said that they they hated whiskey walked out of that experience finding a new appreciation for whiskey i'm not going to say they're going to go home and start buying very expensive whiskeys but they definitely changed the perception of what but
0: they spent more money in that moment than they ever thought of i mean i you you just you made that comment a second ago i was blown away he had an old hirsch bourbon and he's like well uh-huh. I, no i haven't seen anyone drink this in like three years
1: uh-huh.
0: and he's like do you want to try some before you buy it i'm like you fucking kidding me yeah that'd be great thanks buddy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I was like, that, that's, I'm like, and, and then he was super cool. I'm like, I just want, you know, I'm going to try a bunch of different things. So I just want like half an ounce to an ounce, you know, yeah. that way I can like explore. And he's like, dude, it's your journey. I'm like, that is amazing. Thank you. And I mean, I had fun there because, like he said, like, that's just not what the average is drinking. Yeah. They're looking at these things and I'm like, there's no way I would spend $60 on a pour. And I'm like, whoa, it's only 60 bucks for that? Like, I mean, my wife got it. My wife got mad at me in Florida one year because we were at like a Hilton in Orlando and they had a a bourbon bar and they had a Mixer's 20 in there that wasn't opened. And I was like, I was like, I'm just going to you know say, hey, this is how many pours you're going to get out. Can we negotiate? Yeah. And she's like, don't be that guy. Just don't be yeah. that guy. So then I said to him, like, well, hey, you know, what have you priced it yet? Because it wasn't on the menu. And he's like, oh yeah, we just got it in. Let me ask the manager. And he came back, he's like, Yeah, it's sixty-five dollars for a pour. I'm like, How many ounces? He's like, No, two ounces. I'm uh-huh. like, okay, I'll have two ounces, please. And I went back for lunch the next day and before the event the next night. <laughs> I was like, this is great. And nobody awesome. would know. It's in a fucking Hilton in Orlando, where like no it was all, like you said, solar panel people. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Yeah. Well, actually go <laughs> going back to guy Kieran he did such a good job at the, at the end of the night, I was just chatting to him and I, and, uh, I saw uh, the Port Allen 16th release. And I was like, if you ever had that, he's like, Oh no, I've never had it. So I bought him one and like the look on his face when, when he, yeah. a, I bought him it, and B when he tasted it, it was like all of his Christmases had come at once. And that, uh, although he had made so many other people's nights that night, you know, yeah. it was just nice for me to give him, something back and he he no i'll I'll only do
0: it to the stranger next to me at the bar who will watch me and be like what is that what is that what is that yeah i'm like here like you know just try this and and i'll be like hey this is like a 35 year old and they're like what and they look at you like you have like you know three eyes like you spend how much on whiskey i'm like you don't understand this will never happen again yeah never it's gone this is it When they made this, they drank it. They didn't think about it and nobody cared. And now all of a sudden we're in this different time in life and they are sitting on something that's just scarce for the lack. It was, you know, when they first came on the market, it probably wasn't so scarce, but nobody cared. They drank it. I mean, you know, you hear all those stories. Yeah. So I got I got to ask a question that always stumps the people. Well, not stumps because I've I'm, I'm talked to people that get to drink amazing stuff. Is there any experience that you've had so far in in your in your thirty three years where you like pinch me? I can't fucking believe that I'm doing this.
1: Yeah, there's been a few. The it's first time, always a few. <laughs> the first time I ever tasted white boboar, the 1964 that, things. Yeah, like 1960s. That, yeah, that <laughs> tropical fruit explosion. Was something I'd never seen in Scotch whiskey before, and I still, I still remember that that day and where I was when I tasted it, and and that just blew me away. Like that flavor journey that that took me on was just unbelievable. And to, the, to this day, like in my top ten, it's it's still in the top five of one of the best whiskeys I ever had.
0: So I and, tried that at Golden Promise in Paris, inside uh-huh. Maison du Whiskey. And a buddy of mine is that was in Paris last week. And I'm like, you got to go there. Uh-huh. And he was like, Oh, this I'm like, just dude, I don't even know what it costs anymore. And I don't even think he texted back. And I'm like, you've got to get those old Beaumars. You just have to. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, I don't know how much Maison's sitting on. I don't think much. Yes. You're probably overpaying for it, but like, it's going to be gone. It's gone.
1: Yeah. Where were yeah. you when you I drank never, yours? I was in a hotel in Glasgow with my friend Gregor, who I grew up with, who also works for Diageo, And and we both sat there and we were both just blown away by it. It it was just unbelievable. And then now, you know, like whiskey exchange sell it for 30 <laughs> grand. Now yeah. you know now. wine searcher <laughs> is like Here in the US, if you want to buy one, you're like thirty six grand, something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I used to have a sample ball of it in my kitchen. Now (laughs) it's gone. We drank which you didn't.
0: Which you didn't. You drank it before you immigrated because you didn't want to bring too much shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was another
1: reason. Yeah. So (laughs) that that was definitely one of the earlier ones that I had. But I've had so many. I you know. I was lucky enough. Well, this latest, Japan, this latest, the room. last
0: two years with what you guys are pulling out from Diageo is like insane. I mean, I still laugh. At, yeah. You know, when when Todd stood up on Thursday night at Mahesh's thing, and he's like, great marketing with the sticker on it, with, with the typewritten <laughs> thing. And I'm like, dude, I mean, that's just, that's just wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow, whiskey. Yeah. I, I,
1: I mean, know, in in a, a, and the fact that you have
0: a place for it.
1: Yeah. There's a market yeah. for it. I'm in a very lucky position where I get to drink. <laughs> Very delicious rare whiskey on a on a regular basis. I'm trying to think of another moment that kind of blew me away. I I remember David Blackmore from this was back in 2015, 16. Let me try a 1973 Ardberg in refill bourbon, and and I I like Ardberg anyway, but that that's hands down the best Ardberg I've ever had. And wow. and in terms of like Diageo stuff, oh my goodness! Like uh, the thirty-year-old like I, I feel is is just an absolutely spectacular whiskey that just blew me away. And you know all of the all the different styles of casks that we are using in that makeup. You know, you would think that was that delicious. having that was seriously kind of like, like, like that
0: was that master class was next level.
1: Oh, good! I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, but you know, having things like you know, Calvados barrels and Zacapa rum barrels and bourbon barrels, you would think that they would all be fighting, but they don't. They no. they 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 just work so harmoniously together. They're just it's just a wonderful whiskey. It's just insane. Um, well, I, yeah, you know, I put everything I, I in have...
0: foodie terms, and I'll be like, "Michelin, that's Michelin star whiskey." <laughs> that's just, that's yeah. what it is. It's that pump and ceremony, and it delivers, and you're like, "Wow!" You just want to, you know, you sit back with that smile on your face, and like, life's pretty fucking good.
1: Not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my job doesn't suck, and and I'll, I'll give you one more before yeah. I know we we have to move on. I remember <laughs> the friends of my work at Spring Bank, and I and I've been there a few times. But the I took friends there a few years ago, 2016, I think. I took friends there. And they took us into the warehouse, they opened like six or seven barrels. We got to the lynch, old Spring Bank, and I'm talking old Springbank. And and they're just like, just help yourself. Here's a Lynch, here's a glass, walk around the warehouse. You can open oh any bung God. you want. And we were in oh there for God. hours. And uh and then I went back wow. again last year and I took my son and they did the same thing again. And uh, we were just walking around and just said, oh, you want to try this? It's just never been released. And, you know, my my son had never been to Springbank before. And he's a huge Springbank fan. So for him, that that was definitely one of those moments for him. And, uh, and just and to be with you faces. doing it.
0: Like, how cool is that? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And just to see the joy in people's face when when they have these experiences. Because they truly are special. And they'll probably never happen again. Yeah. So getting to do th- things like that, you know, I I never take it for granted how lucky I am to have the job that I have. You
0: know I mean, it's it, I, I think that even with all the social media and all the shit and like, you know, my whole collection started because I had a kid in the NICU that was born five weeks premature. And this whole Rolex uh-huh. whiskey thing was because my wife watches Real Housewives of any goddamn country in the world. And I couldn't stand (laughs) watching it. So I would just sit on Instagram at night in bed with her. So we were both in bed together, you know, while she watched that shit. And I I mean, like, so the experience that I get to get access to, and, you know, back in the day, you know, I could walk into a liquor store and say like, hey, if I post on my Instagram, a bunch of people are going to start phone, you know, calling you to buy whiskey because there was no online sales. That's all changed now. You know, like, so, but just the experiences, you know, it's just, it's mind blowing because I just... No disrespect to any new whiskey that's being made in the last decade, but that oldest stuff is just different.
1: It just is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're right. You know? They are they are different. They're very, very special. And, and if you're lucky enough to get to try them, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll change your life for the better.
0: Yeah, I, it's just, you know, you get to go literally transfer back all that time and be like, man, this guy just... Came to work like you at 16 and every two weeks he got his famous grouse. You know, he's like, this is cool. Yeah, he was doing the yeah. best he could and had no idea 50 years from now what that was going to be. Or care. There yeah. wasn't the foresight. You know, it didn't. So, well, hey, time was moved quick and I can't thank you enough. I know you've only had one day off. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come on today. My I pleasure. can't wait to hang out with you again. I've been talking to Todd about some kind of experience to come sit in the library and just just smile and just go take a take a time capsule journey. Um, Love everything you guys are doing. It's just it's amazing what Diageo does at that high level. I mean, at all levels, but really like because I'm drinking in the high level, it's pretty amazing that they've been able to just really put whiskey history with a beautiful stamp on it.
1: Yeah, I and you know that that's testament to a lot of people. Obviously the the folks who work at the distilleries day in, day out, but also our blending teams who create these phenomenal products that we can then take to market and you know, hats off to, to those folks. I have the I have the easy job. I'm just like out there talking. They're the ones who actually have to put the, the hard work into creating these liquids. So, you know, all credit to them.
0: Well, after that legends number, a uh, legends d- dinner, I hope you went back to them and said, "You can save tons of money on the label." Everyone just loved the sticker with the <laughs> typewriter on it; uh, like it works.
1: <laughs> back to well, basics. my friend, I
0: appreciate your t- the back to basics. Hey, it's great whiskey, basic label. <laughs> Enjoy it. Yeah, thank you again for taking the time. Is there anything you want to you want to plug your Instagram or anything? Uh,
1: my my Instagram is just my name. Uh, it's just you and Morgan. So E-W-A-N-M-O-R-G-A-N. Uh, well, and you'll see all the terrible hotel views I get. <laughs> and all of the delicious whiskey I get. So there's somewhat <laughs> of a juxtaposition there.
0: I mean, definitely, I have a newfound respect for... I I thought I traveled a lot. You are nuts. But God bless you for doing that. <laughs> and thanks for preaching and getting it out there. Um, Well, everyone, thanks for listening today. I look forward to hearing all your feedback. This is another great episode. And Ewan, thank you again for taking the time to come on my fun little passion podcast here and talk whiskey with me.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.